1: What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked Bartimaeus. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Mark 10, verses 51 and 52. Do we have the kind of courage Bartimaeus had? He was prepared to risk exchanging the life he had been used to for the miracle of sight. He knew if anyone could heal him Jesus could and he was prepared to risk the known for the unknown are we afraid of what god may ask us to do when we surrender fully to him and accept the gospel i'd tell the children that when they fully accept jesus as their lord and savior they'll want to give up their old selves and live their new lives they were skeptical the changes probably wouldn't happen immediately like it did with bartimaeus but there would be a change because when we really believe the great news that God's love is so good and liberating, it's worth giving up everything for, then receiving the gospel becomes complete. For most of us, it's a process. We have fear ingrained in our hearts, but as we get older and find the world letting us down, it becomes easier to shrug on the mantle of courage and to find the faith that will heal us. Think of this. Maybe our lives won't turn out the way we want them to. Perhaps instead, they'll turn out exactly how God wants them to. Let that give you courage. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week was one of my early visitors from almost three years ago. Dawn Prohofnik and I are catching up to promote her continuing series of picture books called Storytime with Signs and Rhymes. I'll also let you in on a college class I'm I'm taking, talk about traveling and walking, and reflect on how I managed with fidgety children in my homeschool closet. I've hot chocolate today, must be winter, and a slice of seasonal pumpkin roll, so come and get cozy with me while I chat on about my life as an American homeschooler with a British heart. Talking about being an American, I went and voted this week. This is just a friendly reminder. Voting is a privilege and allows us to have a say in our future. So use the opportunity to express your opinion and go to the polling booth and vote. It's one of your rights. Exercise it. Last week, I was talking with Diane Flynn-Keith and, and we briefly shared stories about how we incorporated our children's interests into the schoolroom, the field, the circus ring, the stage or a retreat. Yes, her boys performed in a children's version of a circus and mine participated in theatre. Finding one medium through which all of my eager beavers could learn multiple skills was a brilliant way to take school out of the classroom. Because we weren't tied to a schedule, the children were able to spend long mornings and afternoons working behind the scenes of a production, one-on-one with the technical staff. Both the boys and girls learned woodwork, construction, painting, lighting, how to operate and balance a fly rail, costuming, and the soundboard. Other skills were added during rehearsal times, choreography, dance, direction, reading, memorizing, the history of the shows they participated in, all aspects of music, the audition process, casting, acting, and dare I say it, socialization. A winner right there. Here they learned how to have confidence speaking in front of others, And I didn't teach one public speaking class. They learned how to relate to peers, adults, professionals, perfectionists, people from other cultures, lifestyles, faiths and walks of life. And I didn't do one formal class in social studies or comparative societies. As a family, we gave our time to the community by volunteering. And here they were able to practice communication and relational skills that couldn't be taught with such a fascinating flair around the kitchen table. Thespians are expected to be out-of-box thinkers and wriggle a bit or a lot. Oh yes, and in case you hadn't noticed, we did this as a family. I did just say that. We spent a lot of time together and we, the parents, walked the talk and kept an eye on what was going on. We are homeschoolers through and through and never gave up our responsibility to others. We guarded our influence fiercely. Being a scheduler myself, though, I did insist on formal school being completed before heading off to the theatre. And what a scrumptious carrot that proved to be. Now, ask yourself, what is your child passionate about? Can you take the academics to him while he pursues his passion? Or can you dangle the tasty morsel of his self-directed hobby in order to get what you feel to be important done first? Find a perfect scenario for your child and let him blossom. School can be brought in alongside it. Yeah, okay, so dangling a carrot sounds good in theory, but what about those times when we were stuck at home for school? My outdoor buffs expressed their disgust at having to do math sheets every morning for 10 minutes. You see, we're not even talking about a lot of time, but in their eyes, it was too much time. I refused to let this go because they needed to do math and I couldn't show myself to be completely malleable Otherwise, I'd have a mutiny on my hands and unschooling under my feet, and we didn't really want that. Eventually, I came to the conclusion that we'd better be doing school in a different way if I was ever going to get through to them and teach them the rudiments of reading, writing, and arithmetic, known as the three R's in my day. I drew up a new schedule that included learning how to do something physical while reciting math facts or spelling out randomly tossed words. You may laugh at my antics when I say I read them stories in my outside voice while they climbed trees or collected leaves, but we were always doing something, and their brains were absorbing the wisdom I was imparting, albeit sometimes in a hoarse voice. They found bookwork tedious. I didn't, so I happily read out loud for all to hear. I even allowed my son to dictate his prose and poetry to me while I wrote it down or typed it in. This is a skill in itself as the child has to hold ideas in her head while focusing on doing 50 jogs on a mini tramp or gluing the wood for a trebuchet. One of mine was a late communicator preferring to use his younger sisters to do his talking for him and was a late reader for the same reasons. Too much other stuff to do than bother with reading or writing or talking. Then he discovered Roald Dahl. And went from easy readers to a chapter book without any transitional books to help him through the shock of no pictures. So for all those years, he was learning through absorption. He just wasn't admitting to it. The local animal shelter held a lot of appeal for my snake-loving child. He spent thousands of hours volunteering, which eventually led to A&M as a junior at 19. Well, the animal shelter didn't do that exactly Going to the community college and bonding with his professors helped a bit. Both my boys graduated from college early, proving a talent for learning that I had nurtured with a few visible results at the time. I think my secret was the fun component. While I was talking to Diane Flynn-Keefe, she also mentioned a book about learning styles by one of my guests, Mariamma Palulo Willis. You can go and listen to her two shows. June the 11th, 2012, and March the 13th, 2011, for some great ideas. I knew my children and husband learned differently from me and discovered from Mary Emma that they share their world with 80% of the population who fall into the performing, inventing, thinking, creative, relating, and inspiring categories. The longer I spent with my wild and rambunctious family, the more they brought out the creative soul in me. I'm sorry to report that I really didn't bring out the quiet, studious side of any of them. And so I've reached the conclusion that only about 10 to 20 percent of the people who inhabit the world enjoy learning the way I do and are successful in an institutionalized school system. The other 80 percent are labeled as having ADD or some other serious learning disorder because they can't sit in a chair all day memorizing history facts or wrestling with complicated scientific theories. Mary Emma Willis has a profile online, if you're interested, that you can access to discover not only what your child's learning styles are, but what yours is. Go onto her website at learningsuccessprofile.com and take the test. There are five aspects that make up a learning style. They are talents, interests, modality, environment and disposition by closely observing our children we can tap into their talents and interests and aim to incorporate what they're good at into their training as i said earlier where do they learn best indoors outside in a quiet quiet in a quiet place a cool place in the water or while they're actively doing something One of my sons recited his math facts daily while honing his two-wheel bike skills. Another would spell words for me while he shot basketball hoops. My youngest daughter learned quickly because she hated not knowing how to do something. No long drawn-out projects for her. She's quick, observant, likes to get things done, and has an incredible memory. We can also observe how they best enjoy learning. Are they auditory? Not only did I read out loud, we talked and questioned and drew and wrote. By using a variety of techniques, we were able to get through our work in a way that was satisfactory for all of us and left something to show for the hard work. We hung framed pictures, laminated poetry, we made books, and all of this utilised numerous talents and kept them actively participating instead of languidly, languidly vegetating. As parents were experts on our children's dispositions, I have two High performers, my oldest son and my youngest daughter. My son has a mathematically, scientifically artistic brain that thrives while he simultaneously watches a movie, listens to music, texts, and edits, because I'm sure he has been blessed with several brains in one head. My daughter has to be the centre of the stage at all times, but it comes at a price. She needs hours of quiet time to watch a film and more often to nap and recharge. Being on all the time wears even this most stalwart individual out. My middle son, whose disposition is to relate, inspire, and invent, went on to tackle science so that he could work with animals outside and not be stuck at a desk inside. And my older daughter is like me, I suspect, a producer. But with all the other learning styles going on, she was able to adapt as I was. Being part of the 80% was a whole lot more fun some of the time. Well, after the break, I will be welcoming Dawn Prohufnik back to my show. Dawn was one of my early guests, and last time we talked about the merits of American Sign Language for the whole community. As the founder of Small Talk Learning, a training and consulting company specializing in teaching sign language workshops to children and their grown-ups, Dawn feels very strongly that signing is not only for the hearing impaired. We'll be talking about how it can be successfully incorporated into our daily learning routines to enrich our family lives. Dawn is also the author of a series of books called Storytime with Signs and Rhymes. So come back after the short break and find out
0: more. How do you handle toddlers, teens and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond,
1: Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
0: Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian Mcnenny.
1: Well, welcome, Dawn. I'm so glad that um, we finally managed to connect and get ourselves back together again after
2: um, quite a while, a couple of years at least. So how are you I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much for having me back. I I've been busy writing books, and and um, I know you've been busy working on on your creative endeavors as well. Yes, I have. Um, Dawn, um, I know that in the first,
1: first the first time we chatted, you talked about how you became interested in in signing, but that's been a while, and I have a lot of extra listeners. So why don't you go ahead and let us know what piqued your interest in signing in the first place?
2: Absolutely. Well, if we go all the way back to when I was a a young child, I I was interested in signing back then. Um, That was when we actually segregated our classrooms and um, children of, of a variety of abilities weren't necessarily put into the same classrooms. And I was intrigued with what was going on in what was called the special ed classrooms. And they were doing a lot of sign language. Mm-hmm. And I would volunteer in those classrooms during my lunch breaks and recesses and picked up on some sign language then. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, even, I, um, I always laughingly say I was raised on three episodes of Sesame Street a day. And Linda Beauvais introduced sign language in all of those episodes. So I had this baseline of interest. Um, many years later, when I was expecting my first child, mm-hmm. I happened upon this book called Sign With Your Baby by Joseph Garcia. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that would be kind of interesting to mm-hmm. sign with my baby before she could talk. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of success in our own family signing with her and my background was in training and development. And that gradually took me on a new career turn where not only was I signing with my own family, but I was getting myself educated more and more about sign language and starting to teach others to sign. And a dozen years later, I'm I'm still doing those workshops and, and then have written books to help other folks sign with their children as well. Right. So you
1: I mean, I I know you didn't say you had any um, deaf people or hearing impaired people in your family. So you didn't. So this was just something that was just an interest
2: of yours. It it was. And it's it's interesting that you ask that because um, that's certainly a question that comes up is people do make the assumption that, oh, if you have an interest in sign language, you must have had somebody in your family that, Required sign language to communicate, and in fact, it it, it wasn't that way at, at all. Although I will say that that still, my my daughter's in middle school now, um, my oldest, and and still on occasion, my husband will have helpful coworkers that will give him information on different techniques for helping people who are are, are deaf or hard yeah. of hearing, assuming that we might be interested. Yeah. So yeah. Th- that 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 idea continues where folks think, Oh, we must have a need for, for that. And and really it's just been this joyful extra in our lives. Yeah. Um,
1: also I think signing is very beautiful when you watch somebody sign,
2: it's almost a dance. It it is. It is absolutely a, a, um, it's poetry with your hands is, is really what I like to think of it as. And, um, you know, if you, if you watch, if you watch somebody who's fluent in sign language, it's this very put together poetry. But what I have to say is, when you see a child who's using their hands to communicate, and that's in their preverbal state, the only way that they're clearly getting their message across, it adds this other layer of beauty because of this self esteem that just kind of goes across this child's face and their entire body when they realize they've been heard and understood because of their ability to sign. Mm.
1: And, you know, when people don't sign, people use their hands naturally to speak. They do. Well, I do. I know, I do. And I know in Europe, you know, the, the Italians are constantly going with their hands. So how, for, how would they, how is somebody like that who is very, very energetic with their hands, how can they sign? Because then all of a sudden they're controlled and you can't, you know, because you might say the wrong thing or you might not get your message across properly. So there has to be a certain amount of discipline.
2: You know, one would think, but I'll, I'll argue that I, too, am somebody that very naturally communicates with my hands. Um, and I can't give you the, the academic reasons behind this. I can't give you the science behind this. But what I can say is that um, something happens in our, our brains as we begin to normalize signing in our communication, mm-hmm. where it just becomes a natural part of our gesturing. Mm-hmm. So just like without even thinking about it, when somebody's leaving, your hand comes up and you do whatever kind of a wave that you do, or when you're asking for somebody to reach for something and you point without really giving it any thought, as you develop a a vocabulary in sign language, you're brain starts to cause those to become your gestures. Um, and, and something really interesting happened to me this past summer that, that really illustrated that. Um, my family and I, we were lucky enough to travel to Greece this summer. And I I speak very few words in, in, in Greek and, um, you know, maybe four, <laughs> and um, would find myself in these moments of language barrier. And I know a little bit more Spanish. And I would find myself thinking, okay, English isn't working, Spanish isn't working. And without even noticing what was happening, I would find myself signing what it was that I was wanting to communicate and then being amused by myself thinking, oh, my brain's literally going through the different languages that I know and trying mm-hmm. to use those to make a connection with somebody. Mm-hmm. And did, did the signing help? You, you not necessarily, um, other than I think it created this um, emotional connection, if you will, because uh, folks would know this is somebody who's got a message that they're wanting to convey. American Sign Language is North American Sign Language, so it's not a universal language. It's not as though um, you know a friendly Greek was thinking, oh, I know that word as well. But I, I will say, in my experience, um, The the Greek people are also very flamboyant with their hands, and so it probably helped us connect in that level as well. But you know what? Sign language could be a universal language, couldn't it? Well, you know, folks think that, but if we study and look at how language, just in general, how does language develop, language is really an agreement about symbols that stand for something, and those agreements are typically formed by proximity. Mm-hmm. and And that happens with sign language as well, so um, we'll find that that sign language is is vastly different in other countries because of some of the symbols that that are meaningful to those countries, and even across the u s um, sign language can be very regionalized mm. yeah but you're not you're not actually signing
1: spelling out words. Sometimes you do, I think. You have to spell out words.
2: But um, yeah. That's correct. By and large, many of the ideas and and sign language is a very concept driven language. And so um it's not just one for one word in sign language as compared to a word in English. There's there's concepts, if you will, that are that are signed. And there are hand symbols that are done for that for that word or for that concept. Um, an example that's, that's a couple of examples that are, tend to be easy for people just to visualize without seeing. The sign for milk is a, a sign that's made by taking your, your fist into the air and squeezing it just like you might squeeze the udder of a cow. Mm-hmm. Um, the sign for cat is made by taking your pointer finger and your thumb and touching those together and moving that hand off to the side from your mouth, it, it looks like cat whiskers. Okay. So there are some things that have some some intuitive connection, but a lot of those connections are made by our own cultural norms about about symbols and and what they stand for.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um the sign language didn't help you with your Greek.
2: (laughs) It didn't, but I still had a wonderful time. And I can tell you that we definitely did, did connect with the Greek people very effectively.
1: Well, when so, so I naturally gesture with my hands. So are any of those natural gestures incorporated into the language of sign language? I know you said waving and pointing, they probably are. But in general, how much of what we, uh, how we would naturally gesture is incorporated into the sign language.
2: You know, I don't really find that a lot of the signs um, resemble natural gestures per mm-hmm. se, mm-hmm. but they often will have some kind of a logical connection. If if you you know think about how the sign is is made, and and so an example would be um, if if you take your two hands together and and face the palms with each other Mm -hmm. kind of curl your fingers towards each other and just touch your fingertips together you're making a a sphere Mm -hmm. shape with your hand Mm -hmm. that's the sign for ball and so most of us probably don't necessarily make that gesture if we're talking about a ball but learning that sign makes intuitive sense once we've kind of heard that connection because it it looks like a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, the sign for bounce would be taking one of your hands um, and and just holding it with your palm facing down towards the floor and and making a gesture like you're bouncing a ball like mm-hmm. you might do in in basketball. Mm-hmm. And again, that makes intuitive sense. But even if that's not the gesture you would naturally make as you're talking about bouncing, once you've learned that sign, it makes sense to your brain. It it looks like bouncing. Mm,
1: mm. And I, I was thinking of, like, phone. I mean, we all know what that, you know, sort of universal sign for phone is, you know, ear to your, uh, thumb to your ear and little finger out. Although it's no longer relevant anymore because you don't hold a cell phone like that that's anymore. That's true.
2: That's so. true. But, in fact, that is the sign for phone, in, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I think that's an example of something that that would be a, a cultural um, norm. That if we were in another culture, and, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is a very universal, worldwide symbol. But I still think of that as being um, more of a of a U.S. kind of mm-hmm. of symbol for that. You know, one of the examples I like to really give about um, cultural differences for um, sign language because even Cultures that share English as a spoken language don't have the same signed languages really? necessarily. Um, and English, American Sign Language and British Sign Language are different. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the examples that I think is is very apropos is the sign for eat is you take your, your fingers together and you touch your thumb in kind of this little Closed, like you have a piece of food that you would be putting in your mouth mm-hmm. and you move it toward your mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's American sign language for that. British sign language is more proper looking. And that same gesture comes in from the side instead of from the front of the mouth because front, front words looks and culturally feels less proper and, and more vulgar. Um, and I think we could probably say that um, U.S. culture is not as proper as um, our, our, our British heritage So used not to be I thought you were going to say you'd have to have stick the little
1: pinky out you know while you, you're you doing that little as if you're sure. putting a morsel in your mouth stick your little finger out that would make it right. English right. sign language but anyway well that's that's really really interesting and um, we'd have to go on a really short break now and we'll be back um, after this
0: how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why aren't my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help My Body Is Killing Me, solving the connections of autoimmune disease to thyroid problems, fibromyalgia, depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com never be satisfied with a diagnosis there is always a reason behind it and if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path we can change your future it's dr kevin connors live monday nights at 9 10 central here on TuggyNet.com. welcome back to the sociable homeschooler with vivian mcninney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
1: We're back, and I'm talking with Dawn Prohavnik. She's in Portland, Oregon right now, and we're talking about sign language and how signing is not just for the deaf culture. Uh, Dawn herself used it. With her baby, will you tell us something about that, Dawn?
2: Absolutely. I, I actually had the pleasure of using sign language with both of my children um, early on as a way to help them communicate before they could talk. Neither of them have any um, hearing difficulty, or any deafness. Um, we were using it as as a way to. Use gestures to communicate before they could verbalize clearly. And that then became something that turned into a way to enrich communication with them. I remember when my daughter would come home from preschool and I would say, What did you learn today? And she would give me the classic, Nothing. We didn't <laughs> do anything today. And I would think, I know there's something that went on. And sure enough, we'd have lunch and she would say, Mom, how do you use how do you make the sign for volcanic eruption? And I think <laughs> aha, you studied volcanoes today yeah. and it would be a a point in which we could could extend the learning that she was having in that classroom.
1: And you talk about signing to your child before your child has verbal skills.
2: Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so our our vocal cords take longer to develop than some of our other fine motor muscles. And our fingers are fine motor muscles. Um, just like a child can learn to point and wave and, and reach before they can say, hey, mommy, can you help me pick that up? Or bye-bye, daddy. Um, that same child can learn just by watching an engaging and engaging in playful um activities with a parent or caregiver they can learn to say I'd like more of that or I'm all done or I'd like to read a book or I need a diaper change or or so on and so forth and and we can have a very rich conversation with a pre-verbal child as they're (coughs) learning to verbalize.
1: Well Dawn you've been saying that you can start signing with your child before your child has any verbal skills and so, is is your infant able to communicate with you the fact that perhaps her ear
2: might hurt? Absolutely, and um, I think it's actually quite amazing the different levels that a child, uh, types of communication and, and levels of messages a child can give in that preverbal state. I find that one of the the beauties of sign language is that it. It helps raise our understanding of how much cognitive capacity that child has. Mm -hmm. Um, My son would be an example that I could could give. He um, had two ear infections in his childhood. Both of them happened before he could verbalize, Mom, I have an ear infection or I have something that hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't have any of the normal symptoms. He didn't have a, a fever or a runny nose. He wasn't particularly fussy. But he was a rough and tumble little boy who had had a lot of exposure to the word hurt in terms of he would fall down and he would bungle himself and we'd say, oh, that's an owie, and we would do the sign for hurt, which Mm -hmm. is taking your two index fingers and kind of tapping them to the tips of them together, Mm -hmm. almost in a throbbing motion. Mm -hmm. And so he had seen that a lot, and his first ear infection, he was emphatically signing by his ear, you know. Mm. Look at this. Take notice of this, mom. And mm. I remember taking him to the pediatrician and kind of sheepishly saying, "I know it's crazy. I know he doesn't have any of the normal symptoms, but can you just check his ear for me?" And sure enough, a flaming ear infection going on in that ear, mm. and not anything going on in the other ear. Wow. So, um, children really do have that that capability. I like to think of kind of three different contexts when you might typically see a child sign. One is is to just say their basic wants and needs. You know, I want more of something. I'm I, i I'm all done with something. The child then gets into their preferences. You know, I, I'm I'm not sitting in my high chair patiently right now because you keep offering me bananas and I'm in the mood for carrots or peas mm-hmm. or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that higher level of the child initiating the communication, as in, I'm hurting and I want to communicate that to you or just beautiful conversations like the child that's noticing the birds out the window Mm -hmm. that you haven't noticed yet. And they're signing bird, mommy, bird. Mm -hmm. And and now we're taking that child's interest Mm -hmm. and we're carrying on with a conversation or a learning opportunity. And I just think that's a beautiful opportunity.
1: Uh, So yeah, that is, You, you just don't, you think that the first line of communication is going to be verbal automatically.
2: I do. Anyway, and it could it can be signing, and and really that's becoming more mainstream. I know when I got started doing this about twelve years ago, um, signing with preverbal babies was really more alternative. The folks who were doing it were more experimental. The the granola parents, the the ones that were trying out different types of things, and now at least in, in my community and folks I communicate with across the country. Um, signing with pre kids is really becoming more, more ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what we're seeing as kind of the next phase is that folks are realizing, wow, my, my child's talking now. We've used that pre-verbal benefit, but sign language still has a learning opportunity and there's just a whole range of benefits for children as they grow older, more and more of these being documented by science. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these are, you know, kids that have special needs. Maybe they aren't learning in the typical modalities. Mm. Um, children that are advanced learners that need some kind of an enrichment. Um, and then your, your kids that are right in the middle of the pack that are more tactile learners. They want to feel something when they learn. Sign language is a very kinesthetic experience. Or they, they need a visual cue. And when their teacher or their parent or their caregiver gives them a message in sign language, it helps cue them in that visual way as well as that auditory way. So we're just seeing sign language really having a span of of benefits for for children of all ages. We've talked
1: about children. Where else can signing
2: be used beneficially? Well, you know, I'm really finding myself um, becoming interested in this new line of, of study, which is looking at sign language as a tool to stimulate the aging brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so older folks, um, you know, and one of the obvious things you might think is, oh, somebody who's developed a hearing impairment, um, but there's also some research that's beginning to point at this idea that sign language simply exercises the brain in a, an effective way to kind of help prevent it from from kind of withering away on us Mm. and you know we've heard of people doing crossword puzzles as a way to keep their brains active or um, I don't know if I pronounce this properly Sudoku Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of brain teasers and sign language is another area that's being looked at as having that same kind of benefit.
1: Mm. Yeah well they say learning something new helps keep your brain active and yes it doesn't matter what it is that you're learning even even using your left hand more than your right hand, you know, that, that kind of helps stimulate the brain.
2: Absolutely. Right. And sign language certainly provides a, an opportunity for something like that. Um, by and large, people sign with their dominant hand, the hand that they would pick up a pencil with or use a fork or a spoon with. Um, but you're absolutely right. An even more challenging way to stimulate your brain would be then to sign with your non-dominant hand. Mm-hmm.
1: And so you moved on from, um, signing with your, with your young children and signing and practicing signing to writing books. And you have written, well, when I spoke to you last, you'd written eight, I think, and now you've written another eight, which just came out this year in January. So tell us a little bit about your books.
2: That's great. Yes. No, they, they did. I had a new set that came out in January. They're a continuation of the first books, the series. Is called story time with signs and rhymes, and the idea behind the books are that they're all traditional picture books that you pick them up and and they tell a story like we would come to expect with a picture book. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an additional element of a, a learning hook, and that is that they all incorporate American Sign Language into the book design. And then they also, each book title explores a different early childhood theme. So it might be the alphabet or numbers, um, feelings, opposites, um, family members, colors, animals, that sort of thing. So the kinds of things that you would be exploring in an early childhood type of an educational setting at home, outside of of home settings, um, these books help stimulate those particular categories and also provide this educational hook of sign language. And kids are just so adept at learning the sign language. When I sit with children and read to them, you know, I'll be reading the words and they're geared right into the little picture cue of the sign language and I'll watch them just manipulating their fingers mm-hmm. and replicating the illustrations for the signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's nice about that is that they, they see that and then right under, you know, maybe the sign is yellow, And they're making the sign for yellow and they see the page that's splashed with the color yellow. And then under that, they see the word yellow Mm. and they, they, and they begin to read. And so could anybody, even if they've
1: never done sign language before, could a mother pick up these books and immediately start reading them to their, her child, the way that they, that you've written them, you know, to incorporate the signing with it?
2: Yes, absolutely, and and what mothers and and fathers will notice is that their children will be more adept at reading the sign language picture. But happily, at the end of each book is a, a verbalized glossary mm-hmm. that the grown-ups will use that explain ah the way that you make the sign for yellow is that you pull out your thumb and your pinky in a hand shape that's that's made for the, the letter Y in the alphabet, and you wiggle that. And the adult says, Oh, now I get it. And then that little picture cue that their child was already reading makes sense to the grown up brain.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you say that your your books, now, did it take you very many years to write these books? Or did you suddenly just have a little spurt and you got the next eight all out in a couple of
2: months? Oh, heavens no, not a couple of months. <laughs> I, I I feel like I pushed them out really fast as it was. Um, but um, I, so I started writing these books when my child, who's now 10, was um, before he was born. And I felt like the first of them were done, ready to publish, when he was about two. And that's when I went to my first writing conference um, And in fact, learned that they were clever little stories, but not quite ready for print. And um, learned about the the business of revision. And Um, Dawn,
1: we have to go on a short break, but we will come back and continue on that uh, vein of thought for about five more minutes. Great. All right.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Togginat. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
1: So Dawn, you had these books out and you thought they were ready to publish, and then you went off to a what? What?
2: Yes, I went to a writing conference, and I really thought I was... Looking to get these books published, and and quickly learned that in fact they weren't quite ready. The stories weren't weren't ready to to hit hit the formal book market, if you will. And and so I formed a writing group, um, a critique group. I started attending classes in, to perfect the craft of writing, and really did hone that skill. And um, over time, polished the stories and. Um, Did get them to a place where, yes, they were ready to publish. And all that while I was working on early stories and creating new stories. And so it was really this this ongoing process. Um,
1: And so, yes, but you got you got eight
2: out, you know, before you went to this. This conference. Oh no, 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 no. no. Had, so you didn't. Do those that. stories were in manuscript form yeah. at that point. And so I went to this writing conference basically mm-hmm. saying, Okay folks, yeah. I have these words and I think they would make great books. And okay. Okay. I learned that, oh no, they actually need they need more work. And yeah. Yeah. so at that point in time, I think it was another four years before okay. I had polished and edited and revised and critiqued those stories and then found a, a publisher that was a good match for the work that I was doing. And then you carried on and you and ate more. And now I you did. have
1: 16. Do you have more
2: um, under your belt? So I've kind of, my creative energy has taken a bit of a shift, and I don't have um, a growing inventory of more signing stories, but I am, I'm a writer, and so I'm, I'm working on other stories. And I have... Um, a variety of other stories that completely don't relate to sign language at all that I'm now marketing out to publishers in the same way that I did my signing stories. And so I don't have a publisher match for those yet, but that's um, certainly on the horizon.
1: Well, great. Well, Dawn, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I just want to quickly ask you, where's your website that you would direct people to to go and um, buy your, your um, what, the Storytime with Signs and Rhymes? Yeah,
2: probably the easiest way for people to find me is through my website, Small Talk Learning, and talk is T A L K, like we're talking. Mm-hmm. Smalltalklearning.com. And from there, people can find my author website, and they can also find my blog, which is my name, DonProhovnik.com, where I talk at length about different tips and techniques for using sign language in educational settings. Mm. Yes, and I've read some of those. You need to go on and
1: and um, join Dawn and, and get to know her and read her blogs. You'll, you'll have fun doing that. Um, Dawn, thank you so much. I've been Dawn, talking to Dawn Prahavnik. Um She's the author of, well, I suppose The Big Blue Bowl is your first book and 15 other children's books in the Storytime with Signs and Rhymes picture book series. You can find her books on her website at www.smalltalklearning.com. Dawn shared early literacy benefits of American Sign Language for hearing children and gave us some simple ways for homeschoolers to incorporate ASL into their daily routines. Thank you so much for joining me this morning,
2: Dawn. Thank you for having me. It was my sincere pleasure. Well, and I hope you have a lovely weekend. And likewise. Bye. Bye.
1: On a final note about fidgety children, let's celebrate the fact that as homeschoolers, We can modify our education methods to suit our children's learning styles. Let's acknowledge that most of us don't learn well in a formal classroom setting and allow our creative genius to shine forth to the betterment of our children's future. Ask yourself, how do I learn? Can I do what I'm expecting my wiggly child to do? Ask your husband if you answer yes to this question. He was a wiggly boy once. How would he like to learn if he had the opportunity over again? And if you have a traditional learner for a spouse, you'll just have to sit down and ask your child what would be the best way for him to finish his reading book or complete his writing assignment or memorize his multiplication facts. He may surprise you. Bottom line, though, if the learning isn't happening, then the environment needs to change. With no fence still outside, those pieces are heavy and there are no strong men to help my Texan nail them up and I have told him I can't do it. I can't help but notice nature, as Charlotte Mason would encourage. My mind keeps wandering to the canyon in Arkansas where we went with my rock-climbing son. With its deciduous trees coupled with massive outcroppings of sandstone littering the canyon floor, it defied description. But I'll try. With all of these huge boulders to walk around I naturally looked up to see where they'd rolled down the cliff from. Instead of a torn gully I saw trees tall and strong in the path where they would have tumbled and knew the landscape had changed many hundreds of years ago. Or perhaps the tumblage occurred while a sea tossed and turned against the overhanging cliffs thousands of years ago. I couldn't describe it as countryside although Cornwall in England does come close. To me Countryside is gentle, pastoral, like a constable landscape. I worried about how I could put what I was seeing into words and talked it over with my southern gentleman bravely walking alongside me. Eventually, I decided it looked as though a group of giants had been having a game of rock throwing, but the trees. Just let me tell you about the trees. They were just changing colour, so there were generous sprays of gold and rust and copper Reds, oranges and pinks mixed in with the greens. The hillsides and cliff tops were alight with fire and the sun added to the illusion of softly glowing coals. Our cabin was set about a half a mile away from the main campsite where a large group of 7th graders were staying. We helped our son put up his hammock tent, a brand new toy, in the woods behind the cabin and we could keep watch for bears from our bedroom window. We didn't see any. It was very quiet and secluded, no neighbours, nothing. We spent a lovely two days communing with nature and watching our son climb. We hiked along the canyon floor and drank in the stunning natural canvas of the deciduous trees. We drove home without our son because he'd arranged to meet some friends who were giving him a lift home later in the week in glorious weather and again passed through landscapes that I've only ever seen hanging on an art gallery wall. Our son did so want us to fall in love with this part of Arkansas and possibly by somewhere something there but you know what six hours is a little far away from me. As I said to him living somewhere beautiful in the hopes that we may be visited once a year by each child wasn't reason enough for us to move. Plus we liked the amenities of a nearby city, theatre, restaurants and a church maybe even a college. The closest large town to Jasper was an hour away and that was no metroplex. We've seen what the Ozarks have to offer, now we need to check out Maine, only that's way too far away to live, but visiting is on my list. And then the sea, the empty nest life is looking good. Talking of environments, I went outside my comfort zone and into a classroom a few weeks ago in an attempt to learn more about WordPress than the monkey see monkey do approach I've been employing for the last few years. I have to confess, I didn't haven't really learned that much new, so my haphazard ways must have worked somewhat. But I still feel as though I have a couple of key pieces in the puzzle missing, and so I wish I could find them and fit them into place, but it's not going to be in this class, I don't suppose. I did discover, though, that I would be classified as one of those fidget-bum children, now with all those non-producer types in my family. The class is so, so dull. In fact, I found I can sign onto my blog and write during the class, keeping one ear on the instructor. The class consists of students who haven't been in the classroom situation for donkey years, and some of the behaviour is, well, disruptive. Basic group etiquette has really gone out the window. I thought we moved beyond that kind of stuff after leaving college. There's a student who shouts out questions during the presentation. How rude is that? And the instructor is polite enough to acknowledge the questioner and the question and attempt to answer briefly. The only trouble is it slows down the class, and I, for one, am anticipating the answer to some of my own questions. But because of the interruption, the time gets cut short, and perhaps not all the planned material is presented. This same student, who's quite entertaining for me, but not the instructor, locally blames the teacher for an answer that doesn't work for her because of her rookie status where WordPress and computers are concerned. Other questions asked politely go right over my head and don't seem to be relevant to what we're supposed to be learning. Philosophical discussions about how the software ought to work. Next week is my last class. It was only a four-week session, thank goodness. And we're learning about SEOs which are search engine optimizers? See, I've learned something. The instructor sent us lots of website suggestions, but I don't seem to have the time to go through them. Perhaps I don't feel vested or motivated enough myself, but I can make the decision to either pay someone to do this for me or to spend a few hours practising each day until I get it right. Common Sense tells me I'll master it eventually, only it is much more fun mastering something alongside a companion. Want to learn with me, blue-eyed cowboy? Well, it's time for me to go and find another outlet for my natter. I'm off to the theatre this weekend, going to see my youngest perform. We may go grocery shopping, having done not done that for a few weeks, because last week we were in Lindale saying happy birthday to my mother-in-law. I love going there because, you know, when you're at somebody else's house, all of a sudden you don't have anything to do so I was able to take a nap, I was able to read, I walked a lot around the lake. You know, it's just so much fun going away and not being in your home just for a weekend. Um, Anyway, we're talking about grocery shopping. Yes, I'll probably go to the grocery store. Not having all the children living at home certainly helps my wallet. I'll be here, same time, same place, next week on Net Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Dawn Prohovnik, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Christine, Joel, Laura, and many others who are part of my growing audience. Listen to my friend Ali Lepreet with This Little Parent stayed home on Mondays at 7 p.m. Central and Sandy Fowler of Heartfelt Holidays also on Mondays at 1 Just Tune in to TogiNet Radio and listen to all their shows. It's fun. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number 6, 24
0: to 26. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenning, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com.